gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, and on their way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Law and freedom. Usually, Lutherans are known for talking about law and gospel, but this week, all I can think about is law or laws and freedom. Now, you don't have to watch The View to know what the hot topics in America are right now. Just glance down at your news feed on your phone or listen to NPR or turn on the evening news and you'll know that there's a lot of discussion about freedom and what should or should not be legal in America. For instance, gun safety. While the vast majority of American citizens support some restrictive measures or laws to reduce the rate of gun violence, a powerful lobby exercises its influence to counter those measures, arguing that it infringes on our freedoms granted in the Constitution to bear arms. During the pandemic, health precautions were codified, restrictions on gatherings and mask wearing, and eventually vaccination requirements for certain activities were met with resistance because of an infringement on our freedom. On the other hand, there are now challenges to existing established laws seeking to reduce the rights of millions of Americans under the guise of freedom for a few. Legislation restricting the books that teachers can assign and the subjects that educators can address claim to protect parents who don't want their children exposed to those topics while ignoring the will of the majority of parents. Is this freedom? The Apostle Paul writes in the letter to Galatians, For freedom, Christ has set us free. But what kind of freedom is he referring to? Not American freedom, as we're used to celebrating during the first week of July. Not freedom to do whatever the heck we want. And certainly not the freedom to overpower and overtake and overrule. No, freedom for Paul does not translate into lawlessness where anything goes. Freedom 
does not grant a license to do anything we want without concern for the impact of those actions on God and neighbor or even ourselves. You see, freedom isn't a weapon. It's a gift. Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, my siblings, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is summed up in one commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This kind of freedom leads to love and joy and peace lived in the presence of the Holy One. Christ has made us free to embody the gifts of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are free to live for others and follow Jesus in the radical adventure of putting people before protocol. In a Christian community, that is how we care for one another, embodying the gifts of the Spirit for each other in Christian love. Even when we disagree with each other about hot topics, and we do, this community right here is not of one mind on everything, believe it or not. Even when we disagree, we are free not only to welcome one another as we say each Sunday in worship, but we are free to love each other with patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to tell you something that I've not shared with many people before. My abortion story. I was in college, living in the Lutheran campus ministry house as a peer minister, a mentor. And I found myself unexpectedly pregnant. So I turned to my LCM peers and my campus pastor for counsel. And let me tell you, I was afraid. I was so afraid to talk to anybody about it, but especially my pastor, because I knew that he and his wife wanted to have a baby but were unable to do so on their own. And I thought that he might judge me for the sin of being unmarried and pregnant because I was supposed to be a good Lutheran mentor on campus to others. At that time, 35 years ago, my pastor was not a pro-choice activist. Most of my peers at the house had never even talked about abortion before and would have considered themselves anti-abortion if I had asked. But you see, that's the problem when only given binary options. It's either or, and there's no room for gray, for nuance, for understanding and compassion. But what they did with a good amount of self-control is listen with patience, helped me discern with gentleness, and with faithfulness, they assured me of God's presence and grace as I made the most difficult decision of my life. They asked, they exercised their freedom in Christ 
to love their neighbor, even when it was difficult or painful, because their neighbor, me, was their sibling in Christ, also no longer bound by the law and free in Christ. Of course, none of us were theologians back then and wouldn't have used those words or this Bible passage, but we did know and live by the command that's found throughout the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. My Facebook friend, Natalie Hall, who is a great theologian and a Lutheran pastor who serves in an Episcopal congregation, wrote on Friday about both denominations' response to abortion. She said, the two church bodies recognize that abortion is neither to be celebrated nor casually consumed. Rather, we recognize that abortion is usually considered in situations of duress, life-threatening danger, tragic medical diagnoses, and oftentimes in the context of complex socioeconomic circumstances. No one I know or have served as a pastor who has availed themselves of an abortion, made the decision lightly, or had the procedure with a callous heart. Rather, they all came to the conversations about pregnancy, labor, delivery, and babies in the context of reality in the terms of what circumstances mean for everyday life and into the future. She went on to say, I am sad and angry that today's decision means that I will be limited in my ability as a pastor to communicate God's love and presence in a complex, often heart-wrenching situations. Because sometimes, Communicating God's love and presence means helping people get the services they need in order to promote the life that they live. And the life they live is not normatively a matter of being merely inconvenienced by a pregnancy and a baby. To promote life in the circumstances of every friend, family member, and parishioner I've walked with in matters of abortion have included contexts of saving a mother's life, inducing delivery of a deceased fetus, catastrophic fetal diagnoses incompatible with real life after birth, and considerations about bearing a child into real poverty. Her experience as a pastor has been mine, too. In the past 28 years, I have accompanied people from this congregation who needed abortions that they did not want because they yearned for their child, but their diagnosis was incompatible with life after birth. I have visited with patients' parents in the hospital shortly after a medical abortion of a deceased fetus in utero. It's heart-wrenching and awful. And soon to be unlawful in many states. I have supported young adults and teens after their abortions too, offering them the same grace and freedom 
that we all receive in Christ. Yesterday, I was, or actually Friday, and yesterday, and obviously today too, I was angry and grieving. Even though we've known for weeks that this decision was coming from the court, and I know that there are others in the Christian community who are rejoicing and relieved. But I also know that there are probably a whole lot of us who are right in the middle, knowing that all of the hot topics that surround us in our lives today will not be settled with increased idolatry, quarrels, dissensions, or factions, the works of the flesh that Paul names. Can we hear the words from Paul that were written thousands of years ago to a new Christian community who was just learning how to be the one body of Christ? Can we hear them as if he were writing to us today, here in Lakeview, on Pride Weekend, while the January 6th hearings are taking place, as the Supreme Court is releasing its decisions during this season, as some of us are celebrating births of their own children, as summer is just beginning, as everything is swirling around us, as life is going on right now. Can we hear those words now? In Christ, you have been set free to love your neighbor. Love with a spirit of self-control and gentleness. Love with peace and patience. Love with faithfulness and generosity. For there is no law against these things. Amen.